This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. You know, the Bible tells us that, uh, that Jesus endured the suffering of the cross, and it was the cross was a place of victory. I'm sorry, the cross was a place of defeat, whereas the resurrection was a place of victory. Every now and then I'll have somebody ask and say, Pastor Mike, how come you don't have any crosses in your church and stuff like that? Well, enjoy that. <laughs> My answer is always the same, and that is because the cross was a place of defeat. Jesus didn't look forward to the cross. He knew that it was something that was necessary to fulfill his plan for the, uh, fulfill God's plan and his uh, purpose for Jesus being here on the earth. But the cross was a place of defeat. Everybody looked like it was over or everything looked like it was over. It looked like it was, uh, it was hopeless at that point. Now, if we're going to have a, a symbol or sign of something, we'd have a, uh, an empty tomb because that's the place of victory. The fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Now, if you look through the Gospels and you see what happened after Jesus was raised from the dead, when he first appeared to his disciples, he is one happy guy. As we said, the Bible tells us that it was for the joy, the joy of the resurrection that was set before him and what the resurrection would bring, new life for you and me and anybody else that believes in him. That was the whole reason that he endured the suffering of the cross. So when Jesus appears to the disciples, I mean, he's he's saying, all hail. Well, before then, just a few days before that, we see Jesus in agony. We see Jesus determined. We see Jesus with his, with his jaw set. He knows that he's got to do this, but it's not anything that he's looking forward to. He just sees it as a necessary part of fulfilling God's plan. But after the resurrection, he's a different type of person. I mean, he is, he's excited. He speaks to them, peace be unto you. He shares with them everything that he's got. He tells them everything that he can about the, the day that we live in, the, the, uh, the age of grace, the church age that we're now living in. He, he tells them uh, all kinds of things that he never was able to tell them before. He spends 40 days off and on with them until the day of Pentecost. He's a different type of person. Well, we look at the cross and we see Jesus hanging there physically. Psalm 22, let me read some things from uh, Psalm 22. You may be familiar with some of these verses, um, but the 22nd Psalm gives us a picture of Jesus on the cross. It says, well, let's see, where do we want to start reading with this? Let's start in verse 11. It says, be not far from me, for, my, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. That's the Sanhedrin. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. You remember when they, the Roman soldiers poked the spear in Jesus' side? It says water and blood came out. Well, here's the, here's the, uh, the Old Testament prophecy. Here's David speaking prophetically about what Jesus would endure on the cross. Verse 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. The word tell is the word count. The Bible tells us that Jesus' visage, his appearance was so marred, it was so changed by what he endured, not just the physical beating, not just the the crucifixion and the, the, the terror of that in itself, but it's talking about how that sin was laid upon Jesus. And as a result... That sin changed Jesus' appearance so that the Bible says he didn't even look like a man. 
There was something supernatural about this. Even the Roman soldiers recognized that when it went dark just before Jesus died, when there was an earthquake, all the things that they were seeing and witnessing, they crucified lots of people. There were two thieves crucified on Jesus' right and left hand. But the Roman soldiers said when Jesus died, surely this was the Son of God. They saw something about his physical death that was so astounding to them, that was so out of the ordinary, so unusual that they recognized without knowing anything about Jesus' life, without knowing anything about what Jesus preached, without knowing anything about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, they said this guy must have been the Son of God. Well, we look at Jesus on the cross, and most of the time that's as far as we look. But folks, Jesus hung for three hours on the cross. Prior to that, the evening before that, he was taken into Pilate's court, and he was beaten. Now, we don't know how long that was, and certainly it was horrible. The Bible says that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. That's a, that's a real unclear picture for us because literally what it says is by the mark of the blow, a bruise. In other words, it's saying his back was one mark. Now, according to the language, if there was as much as one sixty-fourth of an inch between any two marks, any two distinguishable marks, you couldn't have used the words that were used. In other words, it's telling us, that Jesus' back was literally ripped off. The flesh was ripped off of his back, and his back was one bruise. And the Bible says that he suffered that penalty and that, pen- that punishment for our sickness. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. A lot of the church argues about whether healing is for today. The Bible says that by his stripes we were healed. Literally, by the mark of the blow or the mark of the bruise, we were healed. Jesus shed his blood for healing before he ever shed his blood for sin. Now, you decide for yourself what you think that means. I know what it means. I have no doubt of what it means. I've seen enough people healed by the stripes of Jesus. I've seen enough people healed by claiming that promise by faith. I've seen enough people healed by the use of the name of Jesus to know what it means. But Jesus paid for sickness before he paid for sin. Same blood. Same blood being shed. Well, these were things that happened within a one-day period of time, 24 hours. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of guy was Jesus? You know, a lot of the movies and stuff like that, they pick the frailest, skinniest guy to play Jesus. I mean, some of these guys look like they're already dead before he ever gets to the cross, you know? (laughs) That always aggravates me. Because Jesus was a guy that everybody wanted to be around. Jesus was a guy that real men, guys like Peter, wanted to follow. I can't see Peter and what the Bible tells us about Peter wanting to follow some of the guys they picked to play Jesus. That's just me. Well, what kind of guy was he then? He was a real man's man. He was a tough guy. He grew up as a carpenter. By the way, carpenters in Jesus' day were house builders. We didn't have cabinet makers and stuff like that, or they didn't have cabinet makers and specialty jobs like we do today. A carpenter was basically somebody that built things, built houses and stuff. So he's a real guy. I mean, he worked with his hands. He was a real rough and rugged guy. He, he was a real man. Well, when Jesus is shying away from the, the crucifixion, when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's sweating great drops of blood, which medical science tells us that, 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 that nobody has ever done that and lived. There have been a couple of occasions where somebody has sweat drops of blood, but the, the shock to their system caused them to die. But when Jesus does this, What's he agonizing over? Is he not able to take three hours on the cross? Well, the two thieves took, spent the same time on the cross and even longer before they died. 
So is Jesus such a weak guy that he can't handle what two ungodly thieves could handle? It's got to be something more than that. Well, what's he agonizing over then? Well, they weren't beaten. The thieves weren't beaten like Jesus was. Okay, well, I can understand that. If Jesus, if Jesus knows the pain and the, the suffering that he's going to endure in, in that, okay, I've got it. But wait a minute. Think about Jesus and what he did to deny his flesh while he was here on the earth. The Bible says Jesus fasted for 40 days and was at the point of death when the devil came to tempt him. So is physical death what he's pulling away from? What's he agonizing over? Folks, there are things that happened not just from the physical side of seeing Jesus hang on the cross that were much more agonizing and and much greater in punishment than anything we witnessed. There's um, there's some information that the Bible gives us. Just like Psalm 22 tells us about what Jesus would endure on the cross, Psalm 88 tells us about what Jesus endured after the cross. Now, there's... Um, there's some interesting things. We're, we're going to talk about several things regarding this, but I, I, let, me, let me set this up. The Bible says that, that everything about the Old Testament was a type and a shadow for us. What that means is it paints a picture of what Jesus would do and fulfill. Jesus fulfilled everything that there was about the Old Covenant. If there was one thing that the Old Covenant did that Jesus didn't fulfill, then that means he wasn't a worthy sacrifice. That means the Old Covenant would still be better as far as a way to God, Right? Well, we think of Jesus, and the Bible says, Paul wrote to us and said, Christ is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. We think of Jesus because he was killed or crucified around Passover. We think of Jesus as being the Passover lamb. Well, he certainly fulfilled that. No question about that. But Jesus had to fulfill everything else, too. Jesus had to fulfill every Old Testament sacrifice and what it represented in order for him to be a worthy sacrifice, in order for him to fulfill the law. Because, like I said, if Jesus, in his work and his sacrifice and as great as what he did was, if there was anything that was uh, commanded or ordained under the old covenant that Jesus did not fulfill, then that means the old covenant's still better. So he had to fulfill everything. Well, one of the things that Jesus fulfilled was the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement is interesting because it tells us about how the sins of Israel could be covered. For the following year, the following year, not the previous year, the following year. The Day of Atonement came once a year. Now, here's what's interesting. The Day of Atonement is told us in Leviticus chapter 16 and there in the surrounding chapters. And it tells us very specifically that it came as a result or came about at the immediately following when Aaron had two sons that died trying to offer sacrifices to God. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now after Aaron's two sons died, God said, and that's where he instituted the Day of Atonement. And he gives some very specific instructions. He gives instructions about how that Aaron had to offer a sacrifice for himself first before he could do anything on behalf of the people. And then it says that he was to take two lambs. One is an offering for the people, and one is what's called a scapegoat. Now the offering for the people was... Very detailed in what they had to do. You had to, had to kill it in a certain way. You had to take the blood and put it on the altar. Had to put the blood on the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the center place there in between the, the wings of the angels and, uh, and sanctify all the elements of the temple and so forth. There was very, very specific and detailed instructions for that. But the other goat was to be turned loose. It was literally known as the goat that lives. Now, this goat that lives 
was to be turned loose and carried by somebody into the wilderness. But first, the high priest had to pronounce curses on it, which represent the curses or the sins of the people and the curses that came upon them as a result of their disobedience to the word or to the law of God. Now, here's what's interesting about this to me. The scapegoat, the word scapegoat is used four times, and all of them are in Leviticus chapter 16. The reality is scapegoat is a mistranslation. Now, let me tell you what it really means. And you check this out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. You can, you can go on the Internet. You can Google credible sources. You can Google even Wikipedia and, and stuff like that. They'll all tell you pretty much the same thing, and that is this. When William Tyndale, and I'm not sure if I got the dates right, so I wrote some of this stuff down. William Tyndale, in his 1530 Bible, in in 1530, he took the Old Testament text, the Old Testament Hebrew text, and he began to translate that. Now, the King James Bible didn't come out until uh, 1611, I think it was. And so they took Tyndale's translation, they took Tyndale's work on the language, and then they came to the English, what we know of as the King James Tyndale took a word that he didn't know what it meant, and he translated this word. Um, the, the the original word in the Hebrew is azazel, azazel. He translated it azizel. Now, az means I'm not one word means goat, and the other word means escape. And so we got from the English language scapegoat, but that's not what the that's not what the original word meant. And so since that time, we've called it a scapegoat and have missed, in my opinion, have missed the real meaning of this. Now, let me read what Azazel means in Hebrew. Azazel is a name for a fallen angel from the Hebrew scriptures and the Apocrypha, where the name is used interchangeably with Ramiel and Gadriel. This Azazel can be understood as the evil demon in the desert to whom the goat was sent. Modern scholars generally reject Tyndale's interpretation in favor of the one of the fallen angel interpretation. In fact, today in modern Hebrew, Azazel is used in a derogatory manner as in, and I don't know how to say it in Hebrew, but something that translates go to Azazel to mean go to hell. Now, here's the reason I bring this up. In the original language, from what God, from what they tell us, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I have enough trouble with English, as you well know. But in the original language, the Bible says that there were two goats, one that was to be offered as a sacrifice and one that was to be sent into this Azazel. And it was apparently, if we're to accept what Hebrew scholars tell us about the word today, well, the, the, the evil ruler, the demon ruler, of the wilderness. Now the Bible says some interesting things about Jesus because one thing it says he was cut off from the land of the living. It says he was cut off from the land of the living. That's easy to interpret in a physical context and just say, well, that means Jesus died physically. But Jesus, in talking about some of these very same things, in explaining to the, to the, um, religious leaders, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. He calls those that had already died physically but who were the Old Testament patriarchs, he called them the living. He said God's still the God of the living. Talking about Abraham. 
Talking about Isaac, talking about Jacob, talking about the Old Testament saints. He said God was still the God of the living. So if the Bible, who Jesus, by the Holy Ghost, says God's still the God of the living, not those who are physically dead, that must mean the those who are dead means dead spiritually. You remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus, where both die and one goes to hell and the other goes to Abraham's bosom. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. Both people are trapped. Nobody can move or change their location. They can't move from the place that they are. Yet those in Abraham's bosom are considered the living. Only those who are separated from God in the lower part of the earth, the lower part of hell, are considered the dead. So here where it speaks of Jesus, it you, or speaks of the scapegoat, excuse me, what we call the scapegoat, it's talking about the goat that lives is to be sent to what would represent hell. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come be a part of our family as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive just minutes off the 5 freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. There were some things that um, uh, that the Lord began to deal with me about a couple of days ago. Things that I'd never seen before. Things about eternal life and eternal death. We think of uh, eternal life as longevity. And, and certainly that's part of it. Thank God for that. But eternal life, when Jesus spoke of life, he only used one word, and, and, and it's the word zoe in the Greek, translated into the, uh, into the English means life, but it's talking about a quality of life. It's not talking about a length of life. It's talking about a quality of life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. That's quality of life. He didn't say, I came that you might have life and have it for a long time. No, he's talking about a quality of life. He's talking about a characteristic of life that's different than anything else that's, that's understood by mankind. Well, how could mankind understand the kind of life that Jesus lived, the kind of life that was in Jesus that made him who he was, and the kind of life that he brought through his resurrection because nobody could be saved yet at that point? So how could anybody relate to that? So when he talks about life more abundantly, he's talking about a quality of life. How did that quality of life come, and what is the opposite of that life? Well, the Bible says that our problem before we were saved is not that we were sinners. It says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Man's problem is not that he sins, talking about unsaved man. His problem is that he's dead. Now, he's alive physically, so how is he dead? He's dead spiritually. That spiritual death is the opposite of eternal life. And that spiritual death is not just longevity, it's not just eternity for a long time, although that's part of it too. That spiritual death, or for the sake of our discussion this morning, we'll call eternal death, is a quality of existence or lack of quality of existence, that comes only from one means or comes only by one way, and that is separation from God. 
That's the difference between those who died and were in hell, like the rich man versus Lazarus, who was in Abraham's bosom and still alive. They both existed. Well, what made the difference? Connection with God. See, when the Bible speaks of death, very seldom does it speak of physical death. It's talking about separation from God. Therefore, when it comes to a sacrifice in the Old Testament, the reason that they had to make the sacrifice year after year after year is because they're using an animal sacrifice, and that animal is a temporary life. The reason it's a temporary life is because nothing other than mankind in God's creation is a spirit being. Animals don't have souls. Well, they have souls, but they aren't spirit beings. They have souls. They have personalities, and that's what we think of as souls in that respect. But that personality is comes about as a result of their physical makeup, not their inner or spiritual makeup. They are not spirit beings. So there's no way that a non-spirit being, an animal, could make a sacrifice that could bring eternal benefits. And eternal, again, I'm not just talking about length of time. I'm talking about quality of life. This is what's so stupid about the, uh, I mean, it's just totally ridiculous about the idea of evolution. Because somewhere, you know, from the, from the amoeba to the, to the thing that crawls on the beach, to the thing that has web feet, to, to the thing that has, has, uh, toes, all this physical change and adaptation and stuff like that. At what point does the gorilla get, become a spirit being? And how could that possibly take place? It's ridiculous. See, it's all based on physical characteristics. The idea of evolution is based on physical characteristics. They still can't prove it, but that's their theory. That's where it comes from. But it's impossible for something that's not a spirit being to have spirit being characteristics. It's impossible for a non-spirit being, meaning an animal, sacrifice to bring about spiritual results. That's why it could only last for one year. So on the Day of Atonement, the one animal is sacrificed to cover the sins of Israel for the following year, the year forward. Well, what covers the sins last year? What covers the previous year? Last year's Day of Atonement. But what about the other animal? The one that's turned loose. The one that's turned loose is sent to what represents for us hell. And the judgment of God falls on that animal in the wilderness. Because it's now the punishment for sin. So you've got two animals on the Day of Atonement. You've got one a sacrifice for sin through blood. The other you've got the judgment or the punishment for sin through its life itself. Psalm 88. But let's start reading in verse 3. This is speaking prophetically about Jesus, and you'll see this, because no man experienced this. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave. Let me read this from some other translations, too. It says, my soul is full of troubles, satiated with evils. Now, the word satiate means to satisfy fully, to glut someone, to come to the point of overindulgence. In other words, it says, I'm consumed, I'm overwhelmed with evils. My soul is full of trouble, and my life draweth nigh unto the grave, or satiated with evils. I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Another translation says, my, or other translations, not just one, but many other translations say things like this. My soul has arrived at Sheol, the kingdom of death. I am become a man without God. Verse 5, free among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, whom thou rememberest no more, they are cut off from thy hand. Verse 6, thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness in the deeps. 
Another translation says, in the lowest pit, the the pit of dense darkness. Verse 7, thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. Now, let me ask you a question. The word selah always is a, it's a word of praise. Why in the world would anybody prophesy about somebody undergoing the wrath of God, laying hard upon them and being afflicted with all their waves and say, praise God? There's only one thing that brings praise in this situation or that we could consider praise worthy in this situation, and that is that something is paying your price. Something is suffering instead of you. Someone. Another translation says, Thou dost lay thy wrath fully upon me, all thy breakers, meaning waves, giant waves that crash on the shore, all thy breakers thou hast poured upon me. Verse 8, Thou hast put away mine mine acquaintance far from me. Thou hast made me an abomination unto them. I am shut up and I cannot come forth. Now let me ask you a question. Who are the acquaintances of Jesus? Well, those were the people that believed in him. Others that would be alive, like those that were in Abraham's bosom. But he says he separated from them. Now some people stop right here and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Mike. Remember when Jesus was crucified, he said to the thief on on the cross, one of them that kind of stood up for him and said, we deserve this, but Jesus didn't do anything to deserve this punishment. Told the other guy, quit cursing Jesus and so forth. Jesus says to this guy, he, he said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus said, I say unto you today, thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so some people will say, take that verse of scripture and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's got to mean Abraham's bosom. So Jesus is saying that he's going to Abraham's bosom that day. But that's not what it says. The word today, the word that's translated today is the, is literally, it literally means this day. So he's saying one of two things. He's either saying, I'm saying to you today, or I'm saying to you this day, or he's saying, and the second possibility is he's saying, I'm going today to paradise. Which is it? Well, the only thing that fits the other scriptures is Jesus saying, I'm telling you today, period, or comma, you shall be with me in paradise. He's not saying he's going there immediately. He does get there. But he gets there three days from now. Because if Jesus went to paradise, who paid the judgment or who fulfilled the judgment or the punishment for sin? If Jesus went to paradise, he's only one part of the day of atonement. And that's the animal sacrifice. Who who paid the, the scapegoat part? Who fulfilled that part? Jesus has got to fulfill everything about the old covenant, which means he's got to fulfill both parts of the day of atonement sacrifice. Both the animal that dies and the animal that lives or is sent into the wilderness, that which represents hell. There's no other possibility. It has to happen. Verse 9. Mine eye mourneth by reason of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon thee. That means he's more there more than one day. I have stretched out my hands unto thee. Wilt thou show wonders to the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise thee? Selah. Here's that word of praise again. Now, why in the world would there be a word of praise attached to, will you show wonders unto the dead? Because, yes, he did. There's nothing more important than the blood of Jesus. For by it, the punishment for spiritual death was paid. And therefore, we are redeemed from sin, sickness, and poverty. Thanks for joining us today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. He was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church. Come, be a part of our family, as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.